For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Can you believe this? Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Hold that follow through. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everybody? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, and I am your host, Elliot Clough. If you've been paying attention to the NBA at all over the last week or so, you've been hearing a lot about Kyrie Irving and not a whole lot about anybody else. And today, we're going to talk about that a little bit, along with, of course, a plenty of Pelicans stuff with beat writer from The Athletic covering the New Orleans Pelicans, Will Guillory. Now, I'm very, very excited for today's podcast. Like I said, we're covering Kyrie and a ton of Pelicans content, but incredibly grateful for Will joining us today. Will is a busy man, of course, being in the position that he is with The Athletic, and uh, we're just very excited to get going. So here it is, my conversation with Will Guillory. And we are joined by Will Guillory, beat writer for the Pelicans for The Athletic, will be joining us today. Thank you so much for stopping by, Will. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you for having me on. Yes, we're very excited to have you on today. Uh, will has been all over. I've uh, been with Nola Jake at the uh, Locked On Pelicans and um, recently with the Protect the Nest podcast, which I was just on this morning as well. So, a lot of good stuff from Will Guillory as of late. And, of course, you can always check out his stuff on the Athletics website. So, Will, we're going to dive right in. Got some news just now on Twitter as we're recording the night before this is posted. Kyrie Irving, we've uh, we've heard very different reports from ESPN and Yahoo about him. And, and now we're just being told that he brought up the idea of starting his own league in a group chat with other uh, – Nets players. What are your initial thoughts on that? Um, a little head scratching, <laughs> which is usually the case whenever Kyrie speaks. It's always kind of, huh, I wonder where he got that one from. But I think, uh, you know, Kyrie's, to say the least, a guy that likes to think outside of the box. <laughs> so I think he's just trying to, you know, come up with as, as many different ideas as possible. And I think ultimately I'm on the side that I believe, you know, Kyrie's got a good heart and all of this. I think he wants to just make sure the players are using their platform in a correct way and understand that, you know, this is a big moment in American history. And these guys want to make sure they're doing the right thing, you know, during a time, you know, where people are going to look back 20, 30 years from now and want to see 
you know, what these guys were doing during these moments and how they were using their voices and how they were affecting this movement in the right way. And I think we've seen throughout the history of sports in America, you know, guys like Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson, how much they can affect, you know, American society as athletes. And I think these guys kind of view themselves as, as the type of people that can make a, a similar impact, obviously not the same type of impact as these type of pioneers, but people that can help move this, this thing in the right direction. So I think Kyrie wants to do that. I just think ultimately I'm of the belief that I think that the message will be so much more impactful if these guys can get together and kind of have a united front. I think that's something I've said on a lot of different platforms, a lot of different interviews I've done. I think it's really important for these guys to have a, a united message all together. I think all of these different things coming out on Twitter and, you know, guys posting Instagram messages and all of that, I think it kind of takes away from what they're really trying to get done here. So uh, really personally, I would think that the, the, the best thing for them to do is kind of all get in a room or get on a Zoom call or whatever and just make sure that they're all on the same page because when they all come out together the way they're, they're able to, I think it can make a real impact. Absolutely. I'm in the same camp as you are. And I, I could be wrong on this. I just don't recall Kyrie being super active in terms of social justice prior to this. And and I, I'm with you. I, I at least I hope that Kyrie is, is coming from a place of love and, and respect for the community that, that he's representing. But part of me is just like, Kyrie, you're not even planning on playing anyway. You know, it's, it's just a little confusing. And I think the more of these reports come out, the less, uh, as far as, you know, what we just heard uh, about him considering Nets and, and players starting their own league, it almost makes us, as not only the media, but fans, take him a little less seriously. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Kyrie will argue, of course, that, you know, he's VP of the Players Association and he's a guy, one of the most prominent players in the league. So he should be one of the people that speaks out during a time like this, I think. He comes with a lot of baggage <laughs> because of the stuff he's done in the past with flat earth and all of the kind of fake woke stuff. And I've made right. plenty of fun of Kyrie in the past with all the fake woke stuff he said. But, I mean, like I said, I do want to give Kyrie the benefit of the doubt that he wants to do something good here. and He's trying to use his voice in the correct way. I do think, you know, it's unfortunate that some of the stuff he said in the past has kind of taken away from his message. And I think it's a lesson for the future for guys who want to do – Stuff like that, it shows that, hey, you know, when you kind of do the goofy stuff, it, it takes away when you want to be serious. So, you know, maybe eliminate that, some of that stuff. But I think, no, I think it's really important just from my view that these guys take this time in America and really, you know, use their voices and use their platform in the right way. I think, man, this is something I haven't seen in my lifetime, how much, you know, this stuff is really not flamed up in America, but just kind of lasted so long. I mean, it's been weeks we've been talking about George Floyd's death and, and, you know, suppression in America and, you know, police brutality. And usually, you know, other things in life distract us when these type of things come up, whether it be work or family or sports leagues or holidays. And, you know, during this quarantine, we just have been really just focused on this issue and it's, and it's lasted. And I think that these guys want to be in a position where, they can continue that conversation and not just be the, the happy distraction that gets us away from the protests or gets us away from these, you know, really tough conversations. And I think it's important for them to use that voice 
but you also got to be self-aware. <laughs> you got to understand that when you're trying to do something good, coming up with stuff like, hey, let's start our own league, man. I, I don't know how much that helps in the discussion, but I want to give Kyrie the benefit of the doubt because I know he's a very thoughtful guy and he wants to do good. But, man, <laughs> sometimes you got to know when to be quiet. <laughs> very true, very true. And, you know, you mentioned I, I'm with you. I think the best idea for, for the players who, who want to be focused on social justice right now and, and the issues that we're facing, it's so important to be, and I mean, to have that platform. And clearly these players have that platform. And now they won't just be on their social media. They'll be on national television. And you're telling me, guys, a lot of people all over the country won't be watching TV. And maybe they think, huh, LeBron James, who is arguably the greatest basketball player of the world, is focused on this. Maybe I should think a little bit deeper about it. And I'm sorry, Kyrie, to, to, to address a different part of the, uh, of the argument. Kyrie hasn't necessarily been the greatest leader on his own teams, let alone looking at the entirety of the league. Sure, he was elected to be VP of, of the uh, NBA PA, but it's just it's just tough for me to think that he can lead the league collectively. And and I'm always going to fall on the camp of we should listen to LeBron James, especially on this issue. I, I mean, the guy started his own school, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, all of these guys can have their place in this discussion because I think, uh, you know, they all affect different communities and they all, you know, come from different places and speak in a different way, I think. You know, all of these guys come with a different form of baggage. I think people look at LeBron and say, oh, he just wants to play so he can go get his ring. And he knows the Lakers are one of the best teams, so that's the only reason he's in such a rush to get to the bubble. That's why I think, you know, it is important for a lot of these guys to get involved. And I think the unique thing about the NBA is the fact that so many of these guys have developed such a huge profile, not just in America, but around the globe. I mean, we've seen guys like Luka Doncic from Slovenia and Giannis Antetokounmpo from Greece and guys from around the world become superstars in this league. And we know how much of an impact individuals make in the NBA more than the NFL or the MLB or these different soccer leagues around the world. So I think getting as many of these guys involved as possible is a good thing. It's just a matter of, like I said, I think they've got to get on the same page. I think it's too much this guy saying this over here and we've got 80 guys on a Zoom call when there's, you know, 400-plus guys in a league. I think it's just smarter to be on a united foot, and I think it's understandable that, you know, this is a, a lot of – these are a lot of grown men who have had a lot of success in their lives and made a lot of money, so it's hard to get them all on the same page. But I think the sooner they can get that done, the better it'll be for their entire movement. Sure. Now, now, being the beat writer covering the Pelicans for the Athletic, have you been able to get a pulse of, of what the team is feeling in New Orleans? Have, have you heard anything from players as to whether they believe that the league should resume or, or that they should cancel the remainder of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the players, just like most of the league, they're excited to, to get back on the court and compete. I do think, you know, they want to be very mindful of how they handle this moment and the same some of the same issues Kyrie and Avery Bradley have come up with about, you know, whether they're going to be a distraction or not. But we know, you know, this is a team full of young guys in a position to really make a run for the playoffs. So they want to get involved. They want to show what they can do, and they want to prove, you know, not just how good they can be this year, but how good they can be into the future with all of these young players. So I think they're excited about that opportunity. But we've also seen guys like J.J. Redick and Lonzo Ball 
Derek Favors, Jackson Hayes, these guys are being involved in this discussion and being involved in some protests. So uh, they want to be involved in this movement, and they know how much they can use their voice. And I think it was very good to see the Pelicans and the Saints develop that coalition with uh, with Lonzo Ball, uh, J.J. Redick, and DeMario Davis to attack some of these issues. Uh, so I think they want to be involved, but I do think they want to play, and they just want to get out there and show what they can do as a team. Now, as we look forward to actually playing basketball, we heard Alvin Gentry, I believe this was on an interview, I believe I saw it on NBA.com. Alvin Gentry said that there will be likely no minutes restriction for Zion come these these eight games that we'll be playing prior to the playoffs. Now, I spoke with Ali Cosell, Cosell editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, on our last podcast, and he believes that Gentry is basically telling the truth, and prior to this interview, he said the same thing, Ollie did, that, that Zion will not have a minutes restriction. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Should he have one? Will he actually end up having one, even though Gentry says otherwise? I mean, I think it's a bit of semantics, because I think, you know, Zion wasn't really on a minutes restriction before the shutdown, but he they were making sure to limit him to around 32 to 34 minutes a night, and I think that's going to be the plan throughout Orlando is that they're going to keep him around that number. He's not going to be out there playing 40 minutes or anything like that. They, they never were planning on doing that even before the shutdown. And I would be uh, highly skeptical if they want to do anything like that. I, I think they really like the plan that they had laid out uh, where they were kind of playing them in these short spurts where they were kind of getting them in and getting them out and playing them a little bit with the second unit. And, and I think that's something that they have some success with. And I think they have to figure out ways to get these different kind of lineups out there because they have so much talent and they have so many guys who need the ball to be successful and they want to give D.I. his time to run the offense and they want to give Drew Holiday his time to run the offense. So I do think, you know, Zion won't necessarily be on a strict time restriction like he was when he came back, but I don't think he'll be around 38, 40 minutes a night. I wouldn't say he'll be there next year either, even after a full offseason. Yeah, that'll be tough with uh... – the big body that Zion has, even even staying in shape like we heard uh, from Andrew Lopez. And speaking of that, Andrew Lopez, ESPN beat reporter for the Pelicans, tweeted, I think it was a week or two ago, that, that Zion has been ready, that he stayed ready over this hiatus, that he was rehabbing and staying in the facility in New Orleans to, to remain ready to get back to the remainder of this regular season. Have, have you seen Zion at all? Have you heard anything otherwise? No, I mean, I haven't been able to see him, but I've heard the same thing is that he's been, you know, in the facility of the, the Pelicans. I believe David Griffin told us that, that uh, you know, certain guys were allowed in the facility throughout, you know, the quarantine who were dealing with certain injuries so they can get their rehab treatment in the facility. Guys like, you know, Darius Miller coming back from that Achilles injury or J.J. Redick who was dealing with a hamstring uh, before the shutdown. So the team has been around Zion throughout the quarantine, they've been able to see him and help him get treatment on his knee. So I do think he'll be prepared. I think a lot of people have been making their jokes about, you know, how many Oreos he's been eating at home or, you know, how much he's been playing Fortnite. But I think, you know, Zion uh, is a guy who hears this a, a lot. And I think he's a guy who knows how to deal with the attention from the media. and He knows how to ignore a lot. But I think he's also a young kid who, who hears, you know, people making all the jokes about his figure and how he – how, you know, he needs to lose weight and how he's not going to be this and that because of how his body is shaped. And I think he's excited about proving everybody wrong and proving that he can uh, he can be a different-looking kind of guy and, and still get it done. And I think 
you know, anybody thinking he's going to come back and, and be like 10 to 15 pounds every year, be huffing and puffing when he runs down the court, I think you, you're going to be uh, uh, sadly mistaken because I think that guy's going to come out and be just as dominant as he was before the shutdown. Those are my thoughts, too. I, I think and maybe even if not more, considering the a large part of the league hasn't been able to get the work in like he has, like, like Kenny Hustle has, who was in the facility as well. A lot of these players don't have courts where they were quarantined at, just kind of sitting around doing the best they can to stay as fit as possible. But Zion able to access the facilities in New Orleans, that's that's absolutely huge. And given, uh, I'm not sure if you saw this tweet from me on May 19th of, of this year during all the craziness. It was around the time that Zion was on the NBA Together show with Ernie Johnson. Um, it was the my, when the My Plans versus 2020 thing was a big deal. And I put up the My Plans and it was Zion screaming. And then it was a picture of him with Ernie Johnson where he got that patchy beard and it almost looks like he's homeless. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little worried about his fitness around that time. I was like, Zion, you might need to get to the gym and the barber. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. Uh, I right? think a lot of guys were happy when those barber shops opened up. That's what they But I think... Yeah, man, like I said before, I think these guys have been getting ready, and I think uh, the idea that these guys, you know, won't be in physical shape or they won't be prepared to play, I think, you know, it's a misunderstanding of how these guys move. Uh, I think we've seen, you know, throughout the years how much these guys have, you know, grown with their understanding as far as how to get themselves prepared, you know, when they're away from the team or having their own personal trainers or having – you know, their own weights at their house or being able to work out on their own. Uh, these guys have been able to stay in shape throughout the shutdown. Like you said, I think it's been a struggle for some guys because they haven't been able to necessarily play basketball. And I think it's going to be an adjustment just being around a team again and, and getting that chemistry back and learning how to play together. That's going to take some time. But I do think, man, these guys are, are professional athletes. Uh, you know, they, they understand how to get themselves in shape and stay prepared. And we know, you know, guys like Drew Holiday, you know, they work 24-7 whether they're playing basketball or not. So I think they'll be prepared. It's just a matter of getting back into the groove of playing basketball and learning how to play together and learning how to, you know, get the most out of each other in these crucial moments where, you know, you take three months off and then you're playing playoff-style basketball. I think it's going to be a huge adjustment for a lot of these guys, but I don't think, you know, being in shape is going to be as big an issue as a lot of people think it will be. Right. I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and I'm sure the players are doing everything they can to stay in shape throughout this, this hiatus that we've been through. Now, we're going to turn back the clock a little bit. It was a year as of Monday that the AD and uh, Lakers trade went through. And here we are a year later. And the big question that was also on Twitter over the last few days was, who won the trade? AD was traded to the uh, to the Lakers, and the Pels received Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Alonzo, and and a bunch of picks. So, so that's exactly what we've been hearing as of late. Who won the trade? Who do you think won, and why? Yeah, I think the, the what makes that trade so insane, and when you look at the the history of the NBA, is that we've never seen you know that type of blockbuster trade where both teams walking away, walk away feeling like they're in position to compete for a title 
on the timeline that they're hoping for. And I think for the Lakers, when you've got a guy like LeBron James in the building, you're ready to win right now. And we know that AD was ready to, ready to win right now. And I think putting those guys, you know, on that roster together, it's been an unbelievable fit. And they're, you know, in my mind, if not the favorite, at least one of the top two teams that should be the favorite going into Orlando to win the title. I think that the talent that they have on that roster is pretty insane. But I think if you're the Pelicans, you walk away, even though Zion wasn't in that deal, you walk away with Zion, with Brandon Ingram, with Lonzo Ball, all of those future picks, you feel like you're prepared to compete for a title down the line too. Obviously, it's going to be a few years from now. You need some of these guys to grow up and mature. But I think we've never seen a talent like Anthony Davis leave a team and that team feel like they're in in an even better position than they were when he was on the roster. And I think it says a lot about, you know, what David Griffin was able to get back in that package and just the growth of of guys like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram this year, how they kind of took their game to the next level once they kind of were able to get into a different environment. So it's pretty insane. And I I don't really think you could say one team wanted over the other. I think both of them got exactly what they were looking for. It's just a matter of if the Lakers can cash in on that AD LeBron, you know, pairing before it's too late. Right. I, I was just going to say, I, I firmly believe that it was a win-win. And, and the only way I think the Lakers could have like firmly won it is if they had retained like Josh Hart, who would have been a, another role player on this year's team. But there's no way the Pelicans would have gone through with that. And you, you mentioned it. Shout out to the front office again. I heap praise on them. Like it, that, That's my job. Not recording podcasts. But uh, David Griffin, Trajan Langdon, Swin Cash, just doing an excellent job in New Orleans after what has been pretty bad considering the history in the Pelicans front office um, with, with Dell Demps. Now with the accruement of picks that the Pelicans got from the Lakers and that they have on their own, do you think they should use them as trade capital or, or just use them straight up as, as the Pelicans go forward, as they try to, what I believe what they should try to do is add some veterans to this already young roster. Yeah, I'm of the belief that I would kind of be patient with those picks, especially the Lakers picks, just because we don't know what that Lakers team is going to look like, you know, two, three years from now, how long LeBron's going to stick around, you know, what type of contract Anthony Davis is going to sign once this offseason hits. So I think uh, kind of giving those Lakers assets away before you even know what they're going to look like, I think will be short-sighted. I do think they have assets on the roster where they can add to the team or where you go, you got some of these young players, you got veterans like a Drew Holiday or Derek Favors, you know, some of these guys that you can use to bring in more assets. I think the biggest thing is just uh, putting the right coaching staff in place to develop these young guys. I think that's the number one priority for this organization moving forward is player development and getting the most out of these young players that they're bringing in, not just, you know, from a mental standpoint and making sure they're mature and able to survive in the league, but being able to fit in with a team where no matter what, no matter who they get in some of these drafts, you're going to step in at at best be the third option. You're going to have to conform around Thion Williamson and Brandon Ingram being the guys on this team. you got to fit in with Lonzo Ball being the point guard and being able to grow in that environment and get the most out of yourself while also, you know, playing a secondary role. I think it's, it's an adjustment for a lot of young guys. And, you know, most of these young guys you've seen taking the top five, seven of drafts, they're kind of just thrown into a fire 
we saw that with Lonzo and Brandon Ingram and with the Lakers. They were just kind of thrown into it from day one. They had to go through their bumps and bruises. But uh, down the line, it helped them to get where they are today, going through all of those games and months of losing and having to figure it out. It goes a long way in helping you develop. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how these young players like Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes develop in New Orleans when they're not necessarily getting as much playing time and they don't have as much responsibility. I think that's a big question for this team going forward. But trading assets to get more veterans, I think it's still really early in this process to make those type of commitments when we don't know, you know, what this team is going to look like a year from now. Which is fair enough, especially when you consider the future of Drew Holiday, of Derek Favors, and, I mean, J.J. Reddick's more than likely going to retire here at least fairly soon. And now that I mentioned Drew Holiday, I I noticed that you didn't say him in terms of meshing with the current roster as we go forward. We don't have to get too deep into it because we could talk about Drew Holiday in that situation for hours, I'm sure. But what do you believe that the Pelicans will do? What do you mean? What do you believe the Pelicans should do with Drew Holiday going not only into this offseason, but maybe forward? Yeah, I've always been of the belief that they should keep Drew Holiday. I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan. I think, you know, that guy is so talented and he's made such an impact, you know, on and off the court with this team, with his approach, uh, with the way you know, he, he handles relationships with the coaching staff, with his younger teammates, with the example he sets for those guys. I think it's so difficult to bring in veterans who have such a positive impact on his teammates that I don't think you can undersell that enough when you look at the team when they were going through a 13-game losing streak, 6-22, and 22, you know, were as low as you can imagine during the beginning of this season, fresh off of Anthony Davis getting traded. It would have been very easy for Drew Holiday just to check out and be ready to move on. And that guy uh, stayed committed to this team, and you saw how much it meant to the team, you know, once Zion got back and they got everything on track with this group, and you saw the impact Drew had on all of those young guys. And I think just what he brings on both sides of the court court, is just going to be extremely hard to replace. And I just think it will be insane to trade somebody that valuable even though the contract situation, you know, is a little in doubt at this point. And I think that's the biggest question for them going into the offseason is what type of deal is Drew looking for, you know, going into, you know, the the later years of his career and how much he's going to be prepared to compete for a title or if he wants to be a part of this group. I mean, I got to talk to Drew during the season. I did a story on him uh, back in February, I believe. And he made it pretty clear that he wants to be in New Orleans and he wants to be a part of this rebuilding process. He loves the young group the team has put together, and he's dealt with so much change throughout his career that he's just ready to be a part of an organization where he can just build, and he can just kind of see the fruits of his labor rise up rather than new faces, new coaches coming in every year like he's dealt with so often in New Orleans. But I think, you know, just seeing just how David Griffin has operated while he's been in charge in New Orleans, we know he's willing to listen to whatever deal is out there, and he's willing to do, you know, what's best for the team and he values chemistry and he values having a talent like Drew Holiday. But if he thinks he can get a great deal for Drew, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him make it just because I know how that guy operates. But ultimately, I think Drew is going to be around just because I know he how much he means to the team. And I think once you put this team in a real playoff environment, having a guy like Drew Holiday who can defend on the perimeter, who can score 20, 
close games, finish in transition, be a secondary ball handler. I think he's too valuable just to give up for, you know, future assets. Honestly, early on when we were really diving into hypotheticals as, as the hiatus began, because, you know, we're all looking for content. I was starting to get into the camp of, I don't know if I want Drew coming back. The more I talk about it, the more I think about it, I'm starting to to join you here. I mean, Lonzo played his best ball with Drew Holiday on the floor this year. I don't think, I mean, the Pelicans were atrocious against the likes of LeBron, against the likes of Giannis in terms of defensively this year. And I can only imagine it being so much worse without Drew Holiday on the floor. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big thing for them going into next season is getting some more size on the perimeter. I think that's the real flaw with this roster. They got a lot of talent on the perimeter, but it's a bunch of small, smaller guys. You know, Lonzo's probably one of the taller guys among, you know, the perimeter players they play. And that's your point guard. They don't really have that 6'7", 6'8", small forward who can run the floor, shoot threes, defend LeBron James, you know, the Kevin Durant, the, the you know, the Kawhi Leonard's of the world. They need to bring in that type of guy. But like I said, I think when you put Drew Holiday, I mean, we saw a couple of years ago in a series against the Portland Trailblazers how valuable he can be as a perimeter defender against some of these elite, you know, talented guys you're going to see in the playoffs, especially in the West. I mean, you got the James Harden, the James, the Stephen Curry's. We can go down the list. You're going to see somebody on that level basically every round, and you got to have somebody to contend with them. And Drew Holiday does it as well as anybody in this league. And I think when you have a guard like uh, like Lonzo Ball leading the way, he's such a unique talent. You need somebody next to him who can create shots for himself as well. So that burden doesn't fall entirely on Lonzo because we've seen in the past he's not necessarily comfortable always creating shots for everybody every time down. I think he's kind of comfortable playing and transition, kind of reading things as they go along. And having that second option like a Drew that you can kick the ball to and have him get to the rack, I think is really important for this offense. And like I said before, I think what he brings off the court is extremely valuable when you got such a young roster and a bunch of guys that just haven't been in these real situations before. We know Drew man, has been through all type of stuff in his life, and I think that life experience is invaluable in the locker room. Absolutely. And considering the things that he went through with his daughter, with his wife, uh, he, having that good fortitude on the team, even if it's not directly affiliated with basketball, is incredible. And I think it's been well established that Drew Holiday is not just a good basketball player, but a, but a good human being. And it certainly never hurts to have those type of guys in your locker room. Hey, Pels fans, going to take a quick break here. I want to remind you, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, make sure you leave a five-star rate and review. That really helps us out here on the podcast. Only takes a couple seconds if you want to do that. Once again, if you are a fan, if you are an avid listener of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, make sure to do that. Make sure to hit the follow button. That really, really, really helps us out. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Now, you did mention that the Pels could use a 6'8", 6'9", guy on the on the uh, wing position to, to guard some of the other team's best players. That's been a hot topic here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, what they should do to improve their lineup this next season in terms of that position specifically. The Pelicans really got shredded there all year. So, so what's the solution? Do you think they go into free agency? Should they go uh, towards the draft? And 
If they go either which either way of uh, the draft or free agency, who do you think they should go after this offseason? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting situation. Uh, I think they're going to be somewhat limited going into free agency because of uh, Brandon Ingram's upcoming contract. I, I think it, you know, it's only a matter of time before he gets that max offer from the Pelicans. They they really value him as a, a cornerstone for this franchise going into the future. So we know he's going to get a huge deal this offseason. Uh, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart can find, you know, potential extensions this, this offseason as well. So, uh, the Pelicans may end up handing out a whole lot of money <laughs> whenever the whole season hits. So I think they're going to have to find interesting ways to kind of, you know, fill in the empty spaces on, on this roster where uh, I think a guy like Didi Luzada coming over, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how much they can use him early on. I think the, the, the franchise from who I've talked to, I mean, they love him as a prospect, and I think they're going to give him a real shot to come in and prove what he can do. I think trading that first-round pick in this upcoming draft, I think is a real possibility just because it seems like, you know, once you get past maybe the top three or four slots in this draft, it kind of drops off in a drastic way. So I think I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe the Pelicans try to pounce on a veteran uh, with that asset. Uh, But I think ultimately, you know, I don't think it's going to be anybody outstanding. It's not going to be, you know, an all-star level guy, but I do think – they have ways to bring in certain people. I don't know anybody off of the top of my head that I would say would be the ideal fit, but I do think, in my estimation, I do think it'll probably, I don't want to say probably, but I would bet it ends up being that first-round pick they use to go get a small forward because they know how important that's going to be for them, you know, once they get into playoff situations. And I know next year with everybody coming back, they believe, you know, they can, they can make some real noise in the West once they get into the playoffs. All right, I'm going to throw a couple names at you, see what you think, see if they can fit uh, with this roster and, and if the Pelicans can go out and get them in free agency this year. This was a name that Ollie Cosell and I brought up in this last podcast as well, Mo Harkless. I'm a Mo Harkless fan. I, I think he's got some talent. I, I don't think he's going to cost you that much in free agency, so I'm not mad at that name. I do think you know he's had some shooting issues in the past. And, you know, we, we saw how that went with my my man Kenny Hustle this year. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing you want is a 3 and D that, that, that struggles with that first part, that three part. So I, I think Mo Harkless is a good fit uh, with what the Pelicans need for sure. But he's just got to, you know, get a little bit more consistent with that outside shot. Jay Crowder. I like Jay Crowder as well. I think uh, he may be a guy that, may, that might lean more towards a pure title contender. I don't know if he's – Gonna, uh, I think he was with Memphis this year. He, he's with Miami now. He's been around some of the kind of those mid-tier teams that have, you know, been able to make some noise in the playoffs. But I, I wonder if he would rather go to a team like a Clippers or a Bucks that that has a real chance to go all the way, rather than a Pelican team that, you know, best case scenario can maybe get to a conference final. Fair enough. I, I'm looking at a couple other names here. One of them that would probably cost a little more money, but that would be, I personally believe, almost perfect for the Pelicans. Might want a little bit bigger of a role than what we're asking here, but if he can fill that role, I think he'd be great. It's Jeremiah Grant from Denver. Yeah, I, I love me some Jeremy Grant. I think that guy is extremely talented. Personally, I think the Bucks would be nuts <laughs> if they let him go because I think he fits so well with Jokic and the way they – they need their four to play. Uh, I think, you know, personally, they probably should have moved on from Paul Millsap a while ago. 
and lean more towards guys like uh, guys like Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, but I think he would be a great fit in New Orleans as an athletic wing, a guy who can run the floor, finish at the rim, kind of be a rebounding presence next to Zion. I think he would be amazing. But I do think you're right. I wonder if Denver allows him to hit the open market, if he can demand more than just a mid-level exception. And if he can demand more than that, I don't know if the Pelicans will have enough to kind of chase off some of those other teams. I'm guessing he's making $9 million this year. I'm guessing that he's going to fetch or he could fetch quite a bit more money than that in the open market, uh, assuming the Nuggets do let him go. Now, that is what I believe to be their top need going into this offseason. By the sounds of it, you agree, and if not, correct me. But are there any other primary needs that you think the Pelicans don't necessarily have to address but would be very good for them to address this offseason? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that it primarily has to be getting a 3-and-D guy, somebody that you can depend on, you know, against some of these bigger wings. And also I think they've got to really, you know, come up with a real answer to their Derek Favors question. I think that Derek Favors is a real polarizing figure among the fan base. And I I think even within, you know, the front office and within some other front offices I've talked to, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's more of a relic of, you know, yesterday's NBA than the NBA we're going into in the future. But I do think he can still be a really valuable piece, you know, for a team, especially like the the Pelicans. I mean, we saw this year how much, you know, they fell off a cliff defensively and a rebounding standpoint whenever he was off the court. And I think, you know, it, it isn't necessarily a perfect fit next to Zion, but he does complement Zion in certain ways you know, as a guy who can protect the rim, who can hit the defensive boards. And we know that, I mean, they absolutely crush teams on the offensive boards when they have both of those guys out there together. So I think figuring out, you know, what type of deal he's going to get this offseason, I think the Pelicans are still a favorite to bring him back, especially, you know, with all the doubts about what the money's going to look like, you know, in the offseason. So I think the Pelicans are still a favorite to bring him back. But I think just uh, figuring out what the future is going to look like at that center position, whether they want – a guy like Derek Favors who could be more of a defender, a rim protector, or whether they want to get a guy who can space the floor and kind of open up the paint for Zion. I think that's going to be a real question that David Griffin needs to answer as he builds this roster, and especially with Derek Favors going into unrestricted free agency. I'm with you there. I think if the Pelicans, I really want the Pelicans to bring him back because, I mean, he didn't get a full season this year. He wasn't in tip-top shape. But at the same time, he's 28 years old, and that dude looks like an old 28-year-old running up and down the floor. I think if the Pelicans bring him back, it almost has to be a team-friendly deal that's like a one-plus-one club option. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to a one-plus-one. Even a one-plus-one where he kind of gets a friendly number in that first year of the deal, and you do maybe a, a partial guarantee in the second year, something like that, but I think you know, Derek Favors understands that, you know, there aren't a lot of options for him as far as starting center roles. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the big losses for him in Utah was that he didn't get to play center as much because he was sitting next to Rudy Gobert out there. And you saw this year, you know, how much he can benefit being that big guy that rolls down the middle of the paint that can, you know, roam free on the defensive boards and be a, a real nuisance on the offensive board. So I think when he was healthy and playing at a high level, I think he did bring a lot to this team, but I do think you're exactly right that he doesn't move the same way he did when he was 24 and he's not getting any younger. And, you know, those playoff miles, they they add up on you. And that guy has been through some real playoff wars out there in Utah. So I think 
uh, you got to be very mindful of that. And also, you know, the Pelicans do have Jackson Hayes in the building. They want him to be the starting center of the future. So you got to uh, put a deal in place that allows that them to make that transition. But ultimately, I think Derek Favors would like to be in New Orleans, and I think uh, this is a good spot for him. But he's, it's just a matter of getting the right type of deal for him, knowing that, you know, he's not going to have many more opportunities to sign the type of deal he'll be able to get this offseason. Now you mentioned Jackson Hayes. He's been a kind of a part of the conversation, at least for us in the media, as to how much he'll impact the team in this re- remainder of the regular season and the playoffs. Do you think he gets a lot of minutes now? I mean, teams tend to go play play seven or eight players in the playoffs in that time frame when, when things are taken a little bit more seriously than the regular season. Do you think we see much of Jackson Hayes from what we'll get from the remainder of the NBA season? Yeah, I mean, I really like Jackson Hayes. I think, you know, it's incredible to see how much he's grown throughout the year. You know, going back to what I heard on draft night when the Pelicans took him and some of the people who were in the building, they were like, man, it's going to take that guy some time to be a real impactful player in the NBA and to see that he was basically starting, you know, within his first week in the league. I think it was insane to see, you know, how he was able to take that on and really excel in that role in many ways. And we, we've seen all of the crazy highlight dunks he's been able to put up and how much he's, you know, grown as a defender and gotten stronger and, and, and you know, been smarter about the way he's used his body. But ultimately, just like you said, I think once we get to these real games with playoff stakes, I think Elvin Gentry is going to cut that, that rotation down. And we've seen, you know, Nicolo Melli really step up and, and take on that backup center role and just be an incredible fit with Zion and with the way that second unit plays. And I think what he brings as a passer, as a floor spacer, uh, I think it, 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 it kind of makes Jackson Hayes a little bit expendable in the rotation as of right now. I think Jackson will have his time, especially against a, a matchup, against certain matchups where you need more athletic big. But I, I would bet on Nicolo Melli taking up a lot of those backup center minutes just because, man, that guy was on fire, you know, before the break. And I think, you know, what he brings from a basketball IQ standpoint and a floor spacing standpoint is going to be really important for this team. And now talking about Derek Favors and Nicola Melli, I'm thinking that, I mean, we saw it pretty frequently towards the end of what the regular season was, is that, you know, Derek Favors doesn't really play that very many minutes, like 24 minutes a night. So we're probably going to see a lot of small ball come this playoffs. And the Pelicans like to run the floor. So that's pretty conducive to, to what they want to do and what they will do in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I think they'll be able to mix it up. And I think that's what Alvin Gentry, you know, loves about the build of this roster is that he can kind of go with the flow from night to night. And sometimes they'll play big with Zion and, and and, you know, uh, and Derek Favors out there, sometimes they'll switch it up and go to Nicolo Melli at center. You know, sometimes they'll roll with that three-guard lineup and getting Josh Hart out there or J.J. Redick. And sometimes they'll go a little bit bigger on the perimeter, and that's the benefit when you've got as much talent as they do on this roster. But I do think you're right that when it comes down to some of these bigger moments, I think they do they, they are going to end up leaning smaller because of uh, the versatility Nicolo Melli brings. I think we've seen him grow a lot as well on a defensive end and the way he's been able to move his feet and defend smaller guys. I think that's been really important and a big part of why, you know, his role has grown during the second half of the season. And I think the more room you can get for Zion on the block, I, I think the better it'll be for this team. 
So I think you will see Nicole Lomelli closing out some of these games and Derek Favors' minutes going down. But I still think Favors is a really important piece for this team. Uh, I don't think you can undersell how much he brings as a rebounder and just as a, as a smart defender in the paint when you got so many young guys and the mistakes that can be made throughout the course of the game when the pace is as high as it has to be with the Pelicans. You need, you know, that safety net in the background, and I think Derek Favors has played that role really well, really well this year. You mentioned Melly getting better defensively, and he has become astronomically, an astronomically better defender than he was at the beginning of the season. I've heard it from a few different people. They say that Melly might have been the worst defender they've ever seen in the NBA to start the season. What are your thoughts there? I can tell you, for, uh, I'm glad I wasn't being recorded on Media Road during the first half of the season because I had a lot of mean things to say about <laughs> Nicola Melly. I, I was not a fan of Melly's game. I thought he was overmatched in a lot of ways during the first half of the season, and his shot just wasn't falling. I think he just saw the confidence kind of oozing away uh, from him during the first half of the year. I think, you know, he was dealing with some knee stuff during the off season. He didn't really have a full couple months to really get his body right going into the NBA, and it took himself some time to really get himself right physically and mentally for the challenge of playing in the league. But I think once he was really able to settle in, I think, man, that, that guy made such a huge jump, especially, you know, during February, March. Uh, I think he was a huge part of the rotation, hitting some of these big shots at the end of the games. He had some games where he would go like five for five for three. He was, you know, dishing bounce passes at the top of the key, you know, defending at the rim. I think that guy is extremely talented, and he might be a rookie, but, I mean, he's 28 years old. He's been in some huge games, you know, over there in Europe, and he knows what it takes to to play in real physical, real high-stakes matchups. And I think he hasn't necessarily been in big NBA playoff games, but he's a guy you can trust in these big moments. And I think that's going to be really important, again, when you got all of these young guys that just haven't been there before. Right. I mean, I mean, you hit all of the points, but I think the big thing for Melly is that the offense just flows so much better when he's on the floor, especially when he's opposite Zion. Yeah, definitely. I think having that guy at the top of the key is really important for the Pelicans' offense. I mean, we've, saw, we've seen it going all the way back to the boogie era and the way they kind of ran that offense through him at the top of the key, running those dribble handoffs. I think that's where this offense is really, you know, at its most fluid in the way you can get all of these different guys involved and having somebody who can be that decision maker, but also the guy that if he's left alone at the top of the key, he can knock that shot down. I think that's really important. And we've kind of seen a different version of this offense with Zion where they're posting it up more often, they're walking it up, a little bit more in the fourth quarter to get him his touches. So I think also having someone that can space the floor and give Zion the, the room he needs to get his, get into his post moves and to prevent defenses from sending those double teams, I think is going to be really important as well. And, and, man, I just think he's a really smart basketball player. Talking about Melly, I think he, he I think that's one of the most undersold parts of his game, how smart he is and the way he sees the game. And I think having somebody like that out there, uh, it helps with everybody else, especially when you got other guys with high IQ, like Alonzo Ball, like a J.J. Reddick. Now, as we approach crunch time in the NBA season, where the Pelicans will determine if they do or don't make the playoffs, probably going to be a lot of close games with these teams that they'll be playing in the eight remaining games. I'm in the camp that right now, 
the Pels should either go to J.J. Redick or to Brandon Ingram to finish off games. If if it's a close game, if it's a tie game, and they need one big shot to end the game, it's one of those two guys. And I want to say J.J. Redick because of, I mean, the clutch shot that he hit against the Kings earlier on in this season, which was the ball almost hit the top of the arena there. But at the same time, Brandon Ingram can do so much. He, he's probably the most versatile player on this team. Who do you think should be getting the last shot on the Pelicans roster? Yeah, this is something I wrote about a little bit, you know, in one of our articles a few weeks back. Just, uh, I think this is a big question that's going <clears> to <throat> need to be answered is how much they're going to lean on their veterans in these big moments and how much they're going to, you know, uh, trust these younger guys. And speaking about Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, and I think ultimately I see them leaning more towards the younger guys just because I, I think they want to see them in these moments and see how they react, especially a guy like Brandon Ingram. I think this is, this is uh, something we've seen him grow a lot uh, dealing with these moments and in the fourth quarter. I think he's really developed in that area during the season, especially as a playmaker. I, I certainly slept on him coming into the year as a passer. I think he, he really showed a lot to me this year uh, as far as being able to make his teammates better. And I think that's going to be really important in some of these big moments. But I think we've seen over and over again, you know, especially the past few years, the value of having a bigger wing guy who can create shots for himself and hit those mid-range jumpers when all else fails. And basically, you know, I just described Brandon Ingram to a piece. Uh, I think he fits, he fits perfect. His style of play fits perfectly into the playoff format. I think it's the formula we saw Kawhi Leonard use last year. And obviously, you know, Brandon Ingram isn't Kawhi yet, especially on the defensive end. But I think he can kind of use that same type of format Kawhi used to be successful in the playoffs, being a guy who can create shots for himself, create shots for his teammates, and when all else fails, he can get to a spot, rise up, and knock a shot down. And I think having a, a talent like that on your roster is so important in these big games. And the more B.I. proves he can be a dependable source of offense in those, moment, the moment, in those moments, the better. And I also think, you know, with Zion, I mean, nobody can guard the guy. I mean, he's, he's, just a, 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 he's just a bowling ball out there. And if you're going to play him one-on-one, the Pelicans are going to give him the ball and live with the results. If Zion can become a passer like Giannis to a degree like LeBron, in situations late in game, he is going to be absolutely terrifying down low. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've even seen – him uh, show that side as far as being able to see the court. I, I think even in his first game, he made a few really nice passes. I'm thinking about the uh, the play where B.I. is cutting down the middle of the floor and B. I. and Zion hits him with the baseball pass. And Zion, I mean, uh, B.I. goes up for the dunk. And I think uh, Zion has proven that he's a really unselfish player. He likes getting his teammates involved. So I think that's definitely an area of his game that's going to grow. And I think even more so, just him playing as a perimeter player, playing as a guy that's facing the basket at the top of the key, I think that's something that he needs to grow more and feel more comfortable playing in that role because he's just so hard to defend in that moment where he can run downhill and put his shoulder in the guys. You've got to send more than one defender to help. And if you do that and you have these shooters surrounding him like J.J. Redick and B.I., he can punish you. But it's just a matter of him being just comfortable in those moments. Now, one more question before we let you go, Will. I hear you're a Zylan Cheatham guy. Why, why is that? 
<laughs> I mean, uh, first of all, if you're ever around Zylan Cheetah, man, that dude has a A1 personality. I think he, he was such a great asset whenever he was in the locker room. He's just one of those guys. He's just a lovable guy. Everybody loves being around him. He's a, he's a, he tells great jokes. He loves to be around everybody. Just enthusiastic all the time. And I love those type of guys on the bench, especially a guy, you know, at the end of the bench who's never getting playing time. He's wearing a suit for half of the games, but he's just living his best life and he's loving every moment of it. And I think that that's such a great, you know, thing to have on the team, a guy that's just bringing joy to the locker room and it just loves being there because we've seen in the past guys just being miserable in the locker room and you know how much joy that can suck out of everybody in the building. So I just love the way he approaches the game. And I think that guy has a lot of talent, man. I think he, he's still got some developing to do. He's a little bit of a tweener. You know, he's not really big enough to be a four, but he doesn't have the perimeter game to be a three quite yet. But I think he's a ridiculous athlete. And, you know, the more he can develop as a defender and a corner three-point shooter, he's got a future. And I think I just like just, just seeing him around, man. He's just a fun guy, and I think he's got a bright future for sure. There you have it, Pels fans. Awesome, awesome stuff today from Will Guillory. Thanks so much for joining us, Will. And before we let you go, you got quite a following on Twitter already, but this guy gets you some excellent Pell stuff right away. He does not have any sort of hesitation to his Twitter game. So, Will, how can we follow you on Twitter? How can we see some of your articles with The Athletic? Absolutely. You can follow me on, follow me on Twitter at Will Guillory. That's G-U-I-L-L-O-R-Y. You can follow all my work at TheAthletic.com. Uh, we got some great coverage coming up leading up to this this uh, Orlando run. I got a Drew Holiday article running this week that I put a lot of work into. Hopefully, y'all all check it out, and I appreciate all the support. Don't miss it, folks. He's one of the best in the game. Thanks so much for joining us today, Will. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you for having me on. And there you have it, Pels fans, my conversation with Will Guillory of The Athletic, who covers the New Orleans Pelicans for them. And now that we've wrapped everything up, make sure to go follow Elliot Clough, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H on Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, or anything to say about any recent podcast, any of my thoughts, you can go ahead and respond to those thoughts or, or tweets or what have you and you will be featured on the coming episode of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. You can always hashtag WhatThePel as well. And while you are here, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, make sure you're going to subscribe, leave a rate and review. Do it! That really, really helps us out, guys. The more you do that, the more we're going to be able to get you better stuff here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Go follow Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on Believe.com or just head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. And you can check out my Pelicans coverage and plenty other Pelicans coverage on the Bird Rights and then Fan Side's Hoops Habit website. Uh, don't forget, head over to Twitter. Give me a follow at Elliot Clough, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. You're going to get a ton of Pelicans content there, polls, and different ways that you can interact with us here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. So once again, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.